Welcome to Compassion Radio. Morning, honey. It's time for Compassion Radio. Interesting time for the past few weeks in America. We want to talk a little bit about a big word in American history and now on the front pages of newspapers across the country. That word is revival. Absolutely. It has been in the news. It's been everywhere that we've looked on blog posts, on social media outlets have focused on what's been happening in Kentucky at Asbury College. And the university there is a small Methodist school, but it has a big place in Wesleyan and Methodist history. And a lot of the world that is not necessarily Methodist are looking in on what's happening there and how it's been spilling over to other colleges, especially, and wondering, What's really going on there? And they have plenty of opinions to share about that on Facebook. We may have some opinions on some of the issues here, but my ambition with these programs, honey, is to look at how should we look at revival. Mm. As believers that have traveled the world a bit, we've seen God move in different contexts, different cultures, and different time periods over the past 30 or 40 years of our travels. It's been amazing to see how unique and special it is to the people that are experiencing it where they are in their place in history. God doesn't seem, in my mind, to be doing always the same thing every time. Well, no, I think God meets individuals in individual ways. And individual peoples in individual people's ways, like a culture. And I do believe there is kind of a spiritual culture in every people group that's out there. Mm -hmm. We find distinctives, and distinctives are an important word for us at Compassion Radio because it says, what is it that's special about this place, this people, this time that we need to learn from? Right. We need to learn from this experience that's been going on in Kentucky. And we're not obviously going to unpack all of its meaning or its resonance for many months or years to come because it's happening right now. In fact, it's ongoing. And that's kind of exciting in some ways, but I don't want people to assume that we just assume that everything's great about everything that ever happens that we hear about on the news. It's fair to ask, is what's going on in Kentucky really valid? I do agree with that in a way. As an outsider to what's happening in Kentucky, I cannot judge what is happening in the hearts and minds of the people that are actually there. For me to sit outside of that bubble or to sit outside of that auditorium across the country and make a judgment call about what's going on is unfair and unfounded. And I have no rock to stand on as far as that goes in my judgment. The idea of of armchair quarterbacking, basically. I don't have the right to do that. Now, we've read some really interesting accounts of people that have gone personally to Kentucky and seen what's happening in the services there before they were officially finished with the university's leadership saying, now is the time to move on to the next phase of this. Mm -hmm. What is it going to mean for us? But during the days and weeks where the services were wide open to anybody who wanted to come, Mm -hmm. there are people that came there that were faithful to the Methodist movement that saw a real revival happening for their people within their denomination, and they Mm -hmm. went to see it for themselves. Mm -hmm. And others that are not part of Methodism that wanted to know what God was doing, just generally, and showed up. And they have different accounts because of their perspectives, really, Mm -hmm. on what was going on there and what it means to them personally, what they think the value of it will be for the church at large. And there's a lot 
of diversity, understanding what the experience means or will mean in the future. Before we dive into what we have gathered up concerning the revival and our opinions, I think we need some definitions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Let's start off with what the world out there thinks a revival is. And there are a number of definitions that are available even in the dictionary or on the internet. What did you find? Well, in the Oxford Dictionary, the definition of revival is an improvement in the condition or strength of something, Mm -hmm. an instance of something becoming popular, active, or important again, or a new production of an old play or similar work, a revival of something on Broadway. So a revival, according to this definition, would be a renewing of something that had already happened, had mm-hmm. already taken place, but a reinvigorating of that experience. Some people that are listening to this program would say, well, that's not a God definition. This is what the dictionary says. This is a worldly definition of revival. So according to the Old Testament concept of revival, a website that I found, the word revival literally means renewal or reawakening. Or restoration. Or restoration. You know, there's another word that's used by many historians of the church. It's called awakening. And they talk about the great awakenings that have happened throughout American history. And they, in some ways, conflate that with the idea of biblical revival. And I do believe that there's a key separation we need to make between the concept of revival and the concept of awakening Mm -hmm. or quickening, which means to bring to life. Mm And most of these movements have had, apparently, some effects on both sides of that question. People that knew God were revived in their way of perceiving his actual work in their lives and his calling upon them, and it changed the way they lived. It changed their worldviews. It changed, again, the calling back to that first love. It woke up again Mm -hmm. to the thing that caught them in their hearts the first time. Mm -hmm. And that changed a lot of things for generations of people that came to the faith over time. Children returning to the faith of their fathers. Those kinds of things were happening in the church. At the same time, the spillover was a great awakening of spirituality in general. Mm -hmm. And it talks in these definitions about the great awakening, which happened in many phases across American history, but primarily in the middle 18th and 19th centuries, that these awakenings brought into life something that had not been there before to those who had never known it. It actually was a creation of a new spirituality Mm -hmm. or awareness of spiritual things, which we would consider in modern language of evangelicalism to be a conversion experience, evangelical outreach, which brought people to the faith and to an experience of a personal relationship with God they had never had before. The definition of spiritual awakening on Word Hippo is... (laughs) The great theologian Word Hippo, yeah. Is enlightenment, awakening, rebirth, or salvation. So that's included in the idea of an awakening or a spiritual awakening, which is what we would say happened, like you were talking about, in those big tent meetings. And I looked that up as well, and there were officially three great awakenings in American history. The first great awakening took place beginning in the 1730s. -hmm. It lasted about a decade. Jonathan Edwards, who many people have heard about, wrote a booklet called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was his most famous sermon. Yeah. Many people were convicted in their spirit and came to know Christ for the first time through this teaching. And during those 10 or so years, circuit preachers started writing out, carrying the message farther, and eventually saturated the frontier of America with churches and fellowship, and great awakenings were happening village by village as they were populating the countryside. This coincides with the manifest destiny idea that the movement of people would continue all across the continent, which historically was problematic because we know it affected lots of other people that were not welcome into this awakening, Mm -hmm. namely the people that were Native Americans. 
And so there was always a tension there. Is this awakening for everybody or is it for the white man who has brought this new God to a new land. Well, and there is a lot of talk about how these meetings in the context of the Native Americans and when they were kind of forced to become Christian, one can argue whether or not that was a real awakening for them. I do think there are actually pocket stories of real awakenings happening amongst Native Americans. Objectively speaking, we know that we know that every single human being born on this planet is valuable to God as a soul. And when he awakens the lives spiritually of anybody, of any people, group of any tribe or tongue. It is his work. That history is so often missed. I wish more could actually study that history to see how did God reach out in the midst of all this foment and care for those who lived here already. Mm-hmm. I know it happened, and there are certain stories that kind of emerge, but there's not really part of our core history that we study, Absolutely. even within the church. And I wish we did more of that. It also reminds me that we need to make very clear to our listeners that when we talk about these great awakenings in American history, as written down by our historians, this ain't the whole rodeo, folks. Mm-hmm. You know, these awakenings happened for American people on this continent that considered themselves citizens of the colonies which became the states. This was a people group. So it is an awakening of a certain cultural context. It is not the only thing that's ever happened in the history of Christendom. Or in the history of the people of God going back thousands of years before Christ even appeared on this earth. Mm. The words that we use now, revival, restoration, they don't come from the New Testament. They come from the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So the people of God who had not known the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to quicken them drew close to God because they were called to restoration by their prophets, which meant literally going to Jerusalem. Modern-day Muslims understand that. They call it the Hajj. They go to a special holy place that they are called to at least once in their life. It's important to their religion to pursue God in that way, to make a pilgrimage. Well, back in the temple days of Israel, the people were called to make pilgrimages to Jerusalem. It was a lifelong ambition for some who lived 100 more miles away to actually walk that whole distance. Mm -hmm. But people were called, come and see that the Lord is good. All of those scriptures that we use nowadays to talk about the quality of Jesus were bedded in those callings to people to come see at the temple. Well, there's a whole section in the book of Psalms about the ascension to the temple. These are songs that were sung as they traveled toward Jerusalem. And the song and the energy itself would rise as you rose up to the city of David and beyond that to the temple. Yeah. Well, we see the life of Jesus that he made pilgrimage to the temple even. Yeah. And he made an effort to get there and to experience the temple life and what happened, not just in the synagogues that were out in the countryside, but in the actual temple. He taught in the temple at the end of his life. We see he set his face toward Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So if it was important to Jesus, you know, maybe it should be important to us as well. You would think. Yeah, to set our face toward Jerusalem, whether that's actually physically going to Jerusalem or experiencing that passion and pursuit of Christ, of God, in our own hearts and minds. Being in Jesus, something that is unique and different from what Israel was called to in the early days. I don't necessarily buy into a total transformation like it's one religion and another religion completely. I don't believe that. We wouldn't even use the Old Testament of the Bible if we didn't believe it had continuity, Mm -hmm. if it didn't have some bearing on our spirituality and our experience of God. The idea of Jerusalem as a pilgrimage could be a beautiful thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. But I do believe that the idea of Jerusalem itself is something that has been transformed, elevated to something on every level, spiritually speaking. So to go up to Jerusalem for us in Christ means to go up to where he is. Mm -hmm. 
And at the same time, we have this paradox that we are now the tabernacle. We are the tent that the Holy Spirit himself indwells. And that gift was given to us and made concrete at Pentecost. Which could be considered an awakening. Exactly. Friends, before we jump back, I just want to remind you that Compassion Radio is a communications ministry, and it depends on the faithful support of you to keep bringing inspiring stories to the air each day. Our vision partners support us monthly with gifts large and small and make it possible for us to take you to the very front lines of faith. Whether you join our vision team or make a one-time gift, thank you for believing in and standing by this ministry. Our project as we start 2023 is to provide more Bibles through our partner, Bibles for the World. Please give generously today so that we can help John send more copies of the Gospel of John for new believers, along with New Testaments and full Bibles for those growing in their faith. Many of those Bibles are needed right now in Vietnam as the door stands wide open to receive these gifts and serve the church there. Just call us at 1-800-868-2478 to make your gift. You can also text the word COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone, or visit our website, CompassionRadio.com. Thank you, friends, for everything you've done and what you'll do today. We love you. We have this paradox that we are now the tabernacle. We are the tent that the Holy Spirit himself indwells. And that gift was given to us and made concrete at Pentecost. Which could be considered an awakening. Exactly. And so even for those who followed Jesus, is Pentecost a revival or is it an awakening? That, to me, is a fascinating thing. So talk about a first awakening. I would say in a lot of ways that (laughs) Pentecost has got to be the one that says, this was it. That was it. God showed up, not just in calling us to repentance, but in indwelling his faithful, awakening them, and immediately through them spilling over to all those who were seekers. Remember, the folks that surrounded the house where this big meeting was happening, where the rushing and the wind and the fire and the tongues, these were people who were intent on coming to Jerusalem. They were ones that wanted to know God. They weren't just the -the run-of-the-mill guys in the street that were, you know, hawking fish or something and had a business. They were there for a reason. They came there for a celebration. To celebrate. And God turned that celebration into, I'm the DJ now. I'm the host. I'm the best man here at this wedding feast. I'm going to show you a party like you've never seen. You think Cana was good when Jesus actually turned the water to wine. I'm going to show you a whole new kind of wine that goes right to the very core of your being. Mm. And Peter has to start off his sermon with, hold on, folks. It may look like we're drunk, and in some ways we are, but it ain't what you think. It is the Holy Spirit himself which has been made known to us and now to you. Mm. So we can look at that as the template, really, of what I would call the first awakening. But there were other awakenings in American history that flowed out of that first awakening here. Remind me of those two other episodes so we can see how it leads up to today's discussion. In the mid-1800s, there was other instances of revival or awakening. And in 1839, there was a huge Methodist camp meeting that took place in the Northeast. And that was considered the second great awakening, where many people rushed the stage almost to recommit their lives, which would be revival with our definition, or to accept Christ as their Savior for the first time. It also spilled over into many free black churches, Mm -hmm. which began even an awakening and a revival within that culture, within the American culture. And it spread throughout the entirety of the black churches, even fingers into the South, and began to set about an awakening within those people to become free. 
Indeed, people in the 20th and 21st centuries would recognize the AME churches that are primarily black that met African Methodist Episcopal. So the idea was that they were combined and they were new and they were one, no matter where they were, but they also were brought the gospel by the Methodists. So for them, that was their great awakening within the black community who were not free politically or economically. They were, in fact, still slaves. And yet God did an awakening there. Some of the earliest proponents of freedom and equity and justice for all peoples of all colors and backgrounds came from that movement. In fact, some of the Methodists were the first abolitionists that we know of Mm -hmm. that really changed the course of American history because God had transformed their view of their brother, of their neighbor. They understood it like never before. Well, I was going to say this Great Awakening encompassed a whole lot of awakenings within people to see the injustices in our culture. The temperance movement came out of this, abolition of slavery and women's rights Mm -hmm. began to bubble up in this movement of the Second Great Awakening. The Third Great Awakening happened after the 1850s and through the early 1900s, and it was kind of characterized by the emergence of new denominations. Mm -hmm. And active missionary work began to happen more, and people being sent out into the Native American tribal reservations and conversions happening there, and then to Africa and Southeast Asia and other parts of the world. The great missional movement. The social gospel began to really take shape during that time. And this is when the YMCA was founded, Mm, dealing with men on the streets, the homeless situation way back then began to develop the paradigm for what that was going to look like in the future. And what we would call substance abuse now was something that was identified and defined for the first time, really, because of that movement. And I know that many, many things that appear in medical literature help us understand what addiction was came out of the experiences and the testimonies of those who were ministering to those coming out of street life, mm-hmm. the YMCA literally rescued mm-hmm. and made a safe place for people who were suffering addictions to be mm-hmm. without condemnation. Right. That's a big point about the history of the YMCA that people don't even think about. Yeah. It was focused on finding the folks who no one else would reach mm-hmm. and giving them a safe place to be. It's a beautiful thing. They also played a major role in fostering these revivals all across the country Indeed. in big cities. So there was a big revival in 1858 that was sponsored by the YMCA that produced a lot of fruit in an awakening, <laughs> would be more the definition. Yeah. Dwight Moody came from that. Mm-hmm. We know historically that as a result of Dwight Moody's conversion, he became a great evangelist mm-hmm. and reached a lot of people as well. And Moody Bible College came out of his life as well. And a whole bunch of very big influences on the Christian culture across the country and the world followed from that, including things like Moody Radio, which is one of the great broadcasting organizations out there. And we respect them highly because we were involved as a ministry way back in the early days of Moody Radio. Mm -hmm. So it is something to say that when revival comes to his people, that big changes are afoot for the church and for those who are affected by or ministered to or are rubbing up against the body of Christ in the world. Mm -hmm. And the body grows. So there are obviously going to be fruits that flow out of that. And before we close up on today's program, honey, there's one more revival or one more possible revival that's being discussed by historians. And the reason I think it's being discussed and not solidified yet is because it seems to be ongoing. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with things that started in the middle part of the 20th century. Billy Graham is a name that we all know, Mm -hmm. most likely. And he was a big influencer in the 1950s beginning when he started his crusade work. 
and began preaching evangelistically. And many people came to Christ during meetings that he held. And that led to another big movement throughout the 60s, which was the Jesus movement. Mm -hmm. And the Jesus folks and the coffee shops and all of that came through there in the 60s and 70s. And in fact, there's a movie out right now called The Jesus Revolution that tells this story about Chuck Smith and how Calvary Chapel was started. And its effect on the entire culture of youth in the late 60s, early 70s, not just the Church of Calvary Chapel. It affected oh, every denomination everything. and every church in America resonated with what was happening there on the coast. Yeah. And all kinds of revivals were happening amongst youth yeah. in after-church meetings that were happening, yeah. all-night prayer vigils that were happening, and Bible studies and retreats. And well, and a whole new kind of music was yeah. developed through all of that. That was a huge awakening that has really influenced where we are today in yeah. evangelical circles. So I would say, yes, that would be a great awakening. In that, as far as we can see, my life was changed by that. I grew Mm -hmm. up in the Christian music industry. I mean, those are my roots directly. And you and I met because of how the arts had been transformed by the Jesus movement. Right. And paid it forward into bringing arts and culture to the church around the world and how that's blossomed into all kinds of new artistic expressions and freedom of worship. Mm -hmm. And even the modern worship chorus culture where we have writers around the world that are creating all of our music. Every evangelical church especially and many, many mainline and even traditional churches are using music that's being produced by writers and collaboratives that are bringing that Jesus culture into a new art form that's become our new hymnody. We have the old hymns, we have the new choruses. All of that is really a movement that was coming through those great awakenings. Our first hymn books in churches came from the great awakenings. Mm -hmm. And now we have the new awakening in new arts. So I would say that the distinctive for me about true revival in the body is that there are residual tastes and sensations that the church experiences generation after generation that came to life during those revivals. And I mean specifically the arts in church. We have high expectations now for worship because of those revivals. I think revival reminds us of the deep hunger pangs mm. that we have. And every generation and has every them. generation has them. And one of the things that I was focusing on or contemplating on this morning when I was spending some time with the Lord was that what are the deep desires, the deep hungers that I have that I have been staving off with a little snack? <laughs> yeah. You know, always snacking, never feasting. Yeah. Yeah. And so a revival can remind us of those things. A revival can remind us that there is a deeper desire that we have to know Christ and to know God in a more personal and profound way. And it might even be that calling to to taste and see he is good, but then to go on from milk to meat, Mm -hmm. as Paul would say, Mm -hmm. get the real stuff that will build you into an adult, a mature person in Christ. Well, it can give us the courage to really dig into those deep desires and to, to see what they are. So friends, the revival that we're talking about here is something that is a work of God that doesn't necessarily have to be constrained to an event in a certain place. Mm-hmm. I benefit, you benefit from the work of revival in the lives of others that have gone before us. And we are probably challenged to go deeper in the word because of their testimony and their example over years Absolutely, that led to the way we're taught. How we even approach the word of God in our generations has been morphed into something that is appropriate and fruitful in our generation. It's not an old stuffy religion we're dealing with. It is a brand new wine that's pouring from new wineskins, they say in the Bible. So it's something that is supposed to warm us from the inside out, but to nourish us too. We'll talk more tomorrow about the current revival fervor that seems to be going through the media right now and what that might mean for us going forward. 
But I would encourage you that revival is something that truly is for all of us. And whether we even want it or not, revival happening around us will have an effect on us. And praise be to God for that. We'll see you tomorrow on the next Compassion Radio. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, His power is displayed. give generously today so that we can help send more copies of the Gospel of John for new believers, along with New Testaments and full Bibles for those growing in their faith. Many of those Bibles are needed right now in Vietnam as the door stands wide open to serve the church there. Call 1-800-868-2478 and note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877 and jump in anytime at CompassionRadio.com